Hi everyone, this is Austin of the Noobs and Knockouts podcast. I'm placing this message at the beginning of our first four episodes for future context and new listeners. The name of the podcast was not nailed down until after the recording of the fourth episode. It had the temporary title of Austin and David Watch Wrestling, and that is reflected in the episode's content. With that out of the way, please enjoy. Pulled up a preview of the thing, and this looks cool. Okay, cool. Alright, hello guys, gals, and non-binary pals. Welcome to the next episode of Austin and David Watch Wrestling. I'm Austin, that's me. I've watched a lot of wrestling. I'm David, that's me. I haven't really watched a whole lot of wrestling. I'm starting to. Uh, I've kind of been working on it. It's been a bit of a personal project, but but (laughs) as of... Uh, up till up till now, up till now, I I am still disappointingly a bit of an amateur. All right, so <laughs> we, we, <laughs> incredible, but yeah. So our f- first two episodes were kind of about WWE at two very different points in time. In in <laughs> WWE in 2013, essentially now, though things have changed since then, but not that much. And then WWE in 1987. During mm-hmm. the, the golden age, almost for WWE, or one of or at them. least what's or at least at least what's referred to as like the golden age. Yes, you could make other arguments, but when WWE talks about their own history, this was like a the golden age, man. When Hulkamania <laughs> was running wild, but today we're going to go into what is the other biggest boom period in in uh, WWE, known as the Attitude Era. And this was uh, born, yep. Yeah, this and this was born in the late 1990s, and so actually, it is literally a decade by, off by about a month or two from the fir- from the 80s show. I did not intend for that, but yeah, for last when we went in the 80s, we went in 1987. This is in 1997, and. I put a lot of thought into when we would do this because I f- I feel like we we kind of determined last time that we would kind of um, almost have like different branches and, and do deep dives into different eras kind of simultaneously. And so I wanted to kind of start early attitude era so we could kind of have a extended kind of time with that era of time, which wasn't very long. It here's where I was going to stay. Is it, it's, it's kind of up for debate when it starts, depending on who you ask and what your kind of criterion is. It can start from as early as 1996, mid-1996, and it could start as late as late 1998. Damn. Uh, excuse me, late 19... Yeah, no, early 1998. I have I had that off. I was, <clears throat> so... Either way. For me, either way, there's a kind of a lengthy period of time where where you determine where it starts. Everyone kind of has decided where it ends, which is 2001, early to mid-2001. Hmm. Oh, wait. Oh, no, no. Early to mid. Never mind. Never mind. Never mind. Early to mid-2001. Pre-9-11. Pre-9-11. I was going to say, hold up. Yeah. Though we might talk about the 9-11 show. Maybe I would love to talk about the 9-11 show at some point. That sounds, any- like an aw- that sounds like an awful thing to say. <laughs> but anyway, um, yeah, we're, we're going to start for my personal opinion. We're going it, to it starts in early 1997, a very specific point. I forget the exact date, but at one point, but the time when WWE changed its name, it's the name of its show from Monday Night Raw to Raw is War. I would consider that to be kind of the definitive start of the Attitude Era. But 
First, I kind of want to talk about how we got to the Attitude Era because 87 to 97 is a huge time of change for WWE and there a lot of stuff happens that I feel is kind of important to understand how we got to 1997. Curtain Call was in there, right? Yes, and I will mention the Curtain Call, but we're going to start our story in 1992. Kind of the explanation of how the Hulkamania period died out. Basically, mm-hmm. your answer, steroids. By, 1990, by 1992, WWE has... It had already kind of hit its peak in, in terms of mainstream popularity, but it was still extremely successful. It's hard to argue that it wasn't, like, still kind of going strong. It just was beyond when it was at its peak um, relevance in the pop culture. And that happens. But in 1992, was in, during around that time period was when there was a lot of talk in the sports world about kind of cracking down on um, steroids and steroid abuse. Mm-hmm. And you got, and in the, and it, and it kind of turned its eye towards professional wrestling as well. Um, even if it's not a proper sport. And I believe Vince McMahon argued in court, that that he should not be in trouble for this because it's not a real sport. He's done. That's one of those like things they don't talk about when they talk about the history of, of kayfabe and pretending that it's all real to the outside world. When Vince McMahon, the few times Vince McMahon has gone to court, he has been perfectly willing to say that his wrestling is completely staged, not a real sport. If it means he thinks it will get him out of jail time. Good old Vince baby. Or, Or getting, or getting him out of, uh, regulations like like professional wrestling used to be under the auspices of the actual state athletic commissions now it's not except i think in the state of new york and that was a big argument for vince but that's another time the steroid Uh scandal is basically there was a doctor dr george zahorian who was kind of no he was kind of found out from evidence from kind of searching through his um records as a as a doctor that he provided steroids for a significant portion of the of the WWE locker room and Vince McMahon got brought up on 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 a conspiracy on a, you know on drug uh cart conspiracy charges of he was of he was brought up on charges of uh f- providing steroids to his wrestlers and force and forcing them to take them um, it ended up the end the the result of that case wound up being that basically they could find plenty of evidence that WWE people were involved, but they couldn't really prove that Vince McMahon himself was directly part of the operation, was kind of directing it all. Obviously, the idea that he didn't direct any of it is silly. It's his. It's, I, I I mean it, I mean I feel I feel like I feel like. You know, from the things you've told me, I I kind of go really hard on the on the Vince McMahon is is, is an insane supervillain uh, meme, but 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 for something like this, like of course he was the puppet master. Just as a as a noob amateur to all of this, I can say with perfect confidence, of course he was behind this shit. Like even like De- like Vince McMahon has always run a very tight ship in WWE. Everything even today still goes through him at the end of the day. Which so oh the, yeah. So the idea that he wasn't really part of any of that is insane but <laughs> but they couldn't find hard evidence that he was he was a part of it so it all kind of, so it kind of fell apart yeah and it's now become a bit of a meme for Vince McMahon to be like I beat the federal government 
That's how great <laughs> I am. <laughs> but the steroid scandal did have far-reaching consequences, even if eventually Vince got himself acquitted. In that, suddenly, WWE was like, hey guys, let's get off the juice. <laughs> Fast. And yeah. that led to a few different ripple effects. Uh, namely being that Hulk Hogan, his biggest star at this point in time, bounced. <laughs> Uh, because of the steroid thing and also because he had dreams of making movies. And that didn't go well. Oh, that, that, yeah. How did that turn out for you, buddy? He pieced out in 1992. The same year, you have the Ultimate Warrior, which we never really discussed a lot, but he's kind of a solid number three most popular wrestler at this point in time. And... He just straight. He was a bit of an asshole to work with, and he also did steroids big time and didn't really want to quit. So he just kind of quit the company there. And then you have Randy Savage, who did stay, but Vince McMahon was kind of convinced that we need to uh, push uh, younger wrestlers. Like the idea that was, he thought Randy Savage was too old to kind of still be a top level guy. He was wrong as it would, as history would show, but that was his opinion at the time. And so Randy Savage kind of got pushed down and started being more, have more active role as a commentator than a regular wrestler. Mm-hmm. So in the span of one year, he loses his three biggest box office draws all at the same time. Yeah. And so obviously business kind of quickly went in the toilet. Yeah, and fair that, enough. And a lot of his attempts to uh, create a new kind of kind of get a new buzz, like build new stars up in the company to be as big as stars as Hogan and Savage and Warrior failed in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. It's kind of the birth of the mid 90s, which was the new generation era, because they would have these video packages talking about the new generation of WWF stars. <laughs> and they oh, this is still when it was WWF. Yeah, WWE the the change the name change happened in two thousand two. Oh damn! Mm-hmm. I always forget. It. I I always forget it was like that late. Yeah, and so it didn't really work. I'm not going to go deep into the new generation because we're not watching a show from the new generation. But I, I we will once I'm ready to start watching like bad wrestling shows with you. We're going to yeah. do the new generation. <laughs> Point, I, the, I, I'm so, I'm so ready. Anyway. But the point is business is bad right now. And it gets yeah. worse when it, when with the uh, kind of resurgence of, of world championship wrestling. Now world championship wrestling was, is a rebranding of Jim Crockett promotions, which was kind of the biggest um, rival to WWE throughout the eighties as it was basically the, one of the few regional wrestling companies that that, that didn't go under when Vince McMahon was, was uh, expanding nationwide. And it was kind of the home of the national wrestling Alliance. We talked a little bit about that before. I vaguely remember that. Yeah. The NWA was kind of like a co- where all the uh, regional wrestling companies agreed to work together to make sure that they, no, no one impeded on each other's territories and they would have, there would be one world's champion that went everywhere and traveled all over the Nate, the country as opposed to staying in one location. And Jim, J- Jim Crockett promotions was kind of like the biggest power player in that, in that relationship. And eventually it kind of became like the, the last bastion of the NWA after most of the NWA kind of fell apart. Mm-hmm. 
but in uh, in the mid in the early nineties, it was it it was it bleeding money, and so it was yeah. bought out by a Ted Turner because Ted Turner uh, was always kind of a bit of a wrestling aficionado, and he, at the very least, he always appreciated the fact that um, when T when the TBS Superstation first aired, wrestling was a, a big uh, was a big ratings get for that pro for that television sh- for that network. So he's always had a little bit of an appreciation for wrestling in that way. And it leads to one of the most hilariously, like one of the most like hilarious historical quotes in wrestling history is Mm -hmm. they always tell this story and we, and and who knows how apophical it is. I believe I'm saying that word correctly. It Uh, is apocryphal. Yeah. Apocryphal. It is or not, but they all, but WWE always loves to tell this story of Ted Turner calling up Vince McMahon when he bought WCW and going, Vince, guess what? I'm in the wrestling business. And Vince responded. <laughs> and, Vin, and Vince, and Vince, no, no, you haven't got to the best. We haven't got to the best part yet, David. <laughs> no, this gets better. Vince's response to this. Dead, dead face, dead, dead face. He goes, well, well, that's great, Ted. But we're in the entertainment business. <laughs> I feel like you've told me about this before, but it's still really funny. I have, but I, it was just, just a great time to remind everybody of this absolutely uh... hilarious story. <laughs> but anyway, WCW was kind of a shit show of a, of a company under Ted Turner's watch. Basically, he didn't really do much with it. He basically just existed to pump money into it and let them and let them do whatever they want. But it was kind of a never it was kind of a revolving door of like old school wrestling guys trying to run it. But rubbing uh, but um, rubbing uh, get having friction with with uh, Turner with like Turner the parent mm-hmm. company Turner or yeah. a Turner executive gets in there, but he doesn't understand what the, f- how the fuck to run a wrestling company. So everyone hates him there. <laughs> it's just Fair a continual, enough. it's either one or the other until you get to Eric Bischoff. Eric Bischoff uh, was at the time a market worked in marketing in, at Turner, but he had experience working in wrestling in the eighties. So he, mm-hmm. had, he, he was able to kind of play both worlds. And that's why ultimately he was the longest running um, kind of operator of WCW and the most successful. And he, he was in, he, his, his big thing was he was going to make WCW a national product as opposed to, he's kind of get rid of the stink if he, as if he would call it of Southern (laughs) wrestling that that the WCW and the NWA had always had. There's a real, there's a real interesting divide between like Vince McMahon's WWF and old school Southern wrestling. There's a real interesting culture divide there that we're not really going to get into today. Basically, Eric Bischoff wanted to wanted to appeal to more than the Deep South, and in his mind, the way we're going to do that is we're going to get up all we're going to get all the biggest stars from the W from from that you can buy that money can buy. First and foremost, with Hulk Hogan, he signed Hulk Hogan in 1994 after Hogan's movie career was starting. Yeah. And that was kind of a big, that was a big coup of a moment, you know. The face of of the WWF for a decade is now going to WWF's chief rival. It's abs- it yeah, was a, fair enough. It was a big, it was a big moment, and 
it kind of pissed off a lot of the a lot of the homegrown deep south fans of the WCW because they kind of didn't like Hulk Hogan's brand of wrestling. They like their own brand. Thank you. Get yeah. this Hulk Hogan out of my wrestling. Can 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 uh, can can we have a Southern wrestling? We have Southern wrestling at home. Southern wrestling at home. Hulk Hogan. <laughs> it's like no, but. The numbers, it's kind of hard to, to um, it's kind of hard to argue with the numbers because even if the, the even if the um, hardcore fans of WCW complained about it, it did a lot for business. A lot of people started to buy into WCW after Hulk Hogan came on board. And he would end up buying out, he would also end up signing Macho Man Randy Savage and a bunch of other, like, 80s guys who were still kind of popular, but W, but Vince McMahon was confident were too old for this anymore. Yeah, fair. And he had a great success of of having let getting all these 80s wrestlers kind of under his, uh, 80s WWF guys under his roof. And it and in 1995, Vince Eric Bischoff has the bright idea to all right, you know what we need to do? We need to have our own primetime live wrestling show like Monday Night Raw for WWF. And then he ta- he asked Turner, give me a time slot right at the same time as WWF. We're going to Raw. We're going to compete directly. Oh, so, shit. So in 1995, so in September 1995, we get the, the start of what is known as the Monday Night War, which where it's a constant ratings war between the WWF Monday Night Raw and the USA Network and uh, WCW Monday Nitro on TNT. And so yeah. it kind of it kind of goes back and forth in a lot of ways until uh, 1996 is where a bunch of stuff happens, and I'm pretty sure this is going to be the end of the major history lesson for what happens in '96. Mm-hmm. And in order of what happens, first the curtain call incident happens. Mm-hmm. To explain that a little bit more uh, for the viewers at home, I've to- I've told David about this before. Is uh, Kurt is at the time Kevin Nash and Scott Hall wrestling in WWF as uh, Diesel and Razor Ramon, respectively. They were looking to get out of their con. They were their contracts were running up in uh, the WWF, and WCW was offering them big money contracts to come over them, come over to uh, their show. And in fact, uh, a little bit interesting note is uh, this: this time period for uh, professional wrestling was kind of where it was born. The idea of guaranteed contracts, salaried contracts, where you get paid X amount of money regardless of how much work, how much, how much you work in a given year. Whereas, um, previous to this, it was kind of, it was very much a, a, um, uh, it was a pay as you work kind of thing. If you're specifically, if you're hurt or if you, uh, want time off or anything, well, guess who's not getting paid today. (laughs) Yeah, no, it's kind of a a shitty, not a great worker, worker condition, worker, Hurrah for uh, worker worker uh, compensation in this period. I mean, of time. Pret- I mean, I mean, I mean. From what you've told me, pretends to be shocked. Like, mm-hmm. No, but the WCW because they had Ted Turner's infinite supplies of money, infinite bags of money to throw around. They're like, sure, we'll pay you twice as much as WWF is paying, and we'll also guarantee that money, so you could work two shows in a year and you still get paid. <laughs> and eventually, WWF once they started uh, getting having better finances, because at this point in time they didn't have a lot of money. They actually almost went out of business, and around this point in time, 
Yeah. But when when their finance when their financials got better, they would have they would end up following suit with the idea of like, okay, you get a X amount of money guaranteed. Mm-hmm. And that's the way it's stayed ever since. Okay. But anyway, so National okay. Hall agreed to, to to leave. And so WWE is like, all right, well, let here's your and then and one of their last dates of the company, I believe their last date actually, was in the show in Madison Square Garden, where after, after the show ended, there was a moment in the ring where Kevin Nash and Scott Hall uh, hugged it out with uh, two wrestlers under the name of Shawn Michaels and Hunter Hearst Helmsley, or Triple H. And the reason for that is because they were all best friend, close friends and, and backstage, which is a whole discussion to have about that. But point being is that they're close friends and they all kind of want to say goodbye to each other. So they all have a big group hug in the middle of the ring. The problem, as far as anyone would have who cares about this would be concerned, is that uh, Hall and Nat is between Hall, Nash, Triple H, and Shawn Michaels. Two of them were baby faces, and two of them were heels, and none of them had much of a on-screen relationship with each other. So mm-hmm. this, so for this to have happened, was kind of a, a big breach of kayfabe. And then it also uh, photographs and uh, some basic camera footage camcorder footage from the event leaked out over the over the after the show and so everyone knew about it happening and it caused a big huff kerfuffle backstage because mm. it was the traditionalists in 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 the industry and in wwf are like what the fuck is this the, yeah. no this is a no-go and the reason they were they decided they would do this because they kind of had the opinion that WWF can't do anything because Nash and Hall are leaving. And at the time, mm-hmm. Shawn Michaels was the WWF champion. So you're not going to punish him. Mm-hmm. He's your top star right now. What are you going to do to him, right? Yeah. So, they did it, so they did it all to Triple H. <laughs> he kind of had to bear mm-hmm. all the all the punishment for this and kind of had to be made to look like an asshole and really have to kind of pay his dues or so to speak. He had to really work yeah. his way back up the, he really had to work his way back up in terms of the, how management looked at him. Oof. The reason why that's significant is because as the rumor goes, he was rumored to win the 1996 King of the ring tournament. That was a, a then annual tournament that WWF did where it's, it's what it sounds like. It's just a, it's just mm-hmm. a single elimination tournament and the winner would get to be core, have a coronation and give a big speech and all that. And it was supposed to be kind of a symbol of like, at the time, it was supposed to be kind of a symbol of like, the, the company is saying they really like you. That this is a, a future yeah. star to watch out for. But Triple H got stripped of that honor. They changed They changed the booking. Instead, what this is the second, we'll get to the second thing. They instead gave the booking to a wrestler named Stone Cold Steve Austin. I'm not going to go into the, I'm not going to really go into the particulars of his history, just to know that at this time, he's kind of, kind of a, 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 a he's kind of starting to develop a bit of a, of a, of a rebellious kind of character. He's starting to, he's kind of being a more take no shits, kick ass on anybody who gets in my way, kind of a character, a very kind of edgy late nineties anti-hero that, that people like. But he's still in the early stages of kind of figuring that out. And the King of the Ring tournament and he and him winning the King of the Ring is kind of a famous moment in that in that development of that character for his his speech he gives after he wins. In the finals, he beats a wrestler called Jake the Snake Roberts, who was at the time playing the, a character of a, of a uh, born again Christian. And oh, wait, have you mentioned this guy to me before? I probably have, but not in this particular context. 
because I remember something about like a, a born again Christian sort of die or something like that. I don't remember what I would have told you about him. Yeah. But basically, he's a born again Christian, and Stone Cold wins. And as the as as uh, Steve Austin walks to the goes to get accept his crown, he gets on the microphone and he's like, "Get that piece of trash out of here! Get him out of here!" And then he proceeds oh, to go on a rant where he's like, "You you talk about." About your Bible, your your look that didn't get you your faith that didn't get you nowhere, and then his famous line: "You talk about your Psalms, talk about John three sixteen, Austin three sixteen says I just whooped your ass." <laughs> And that would kind of be his soup. They would make a shirt out of that that says Austin 316. And that would be sell like gangbusters. <laughs> Why do I feel like you have that shirt? I, I don't, but, you know, kind of be nice to have. But it's a very, it's an absolutely iconic moment. And it's kind of been like retroactively the birth of that's one of the first moments that was considered like could be the birth of the attitude era was that mm-hmm. that night in that promo. I think it's a little too early, but not important really to say. And it did, and it did a lot of great sales, but and it's kind of retroactively the birth of Stone Cold Steve Austin and his ascent to the top of the comp as being the top guy in the company. That's a little bit revisionist history because. WWE didn't immediately capitalize on that. Yeah. What they immediately capitalized, they they capitalized on him more later in 96 and early 1997, where he has a major feud with Bret Hart over the WWF championship. And we'll talk more about Bret Hart when we get to today's episode. Uh, uh, I seem to have lost David for a minute there. Hey, hey. Hey, you back? I like went downstairs and my Wi-Fi just yeeted itself. Rip. Okay, so yeah. Yeah. Stone, anyway, I'm back. Stone I'm Cold, back, baby. Yeah, Stone Cold. About give it eight to eight, eight more months or so. You know, give it. Give okay, it eight. so fair enough. So there's the two moments of '96. The third moment of '96 worth talking about is when Hall and Nash go to WCW. They they premiere on Monday Nitro. But they kind of do this weird, this kind of revolutionary for its time kind of character where they come out and they play their WWF characters or at least some version of them. Not enough mm-hmm. to not technically be copyright infringement. Yeah. And they give off this impression as if they are in an invading force in WCW. Ooh. They are the outsiders, and they paint this. And WCW paints this story as if you, ha- as if these two guys are still with the WWF, and they're like invading WCW. Ooh, I love. It's a very cool that. story, and absolutely revolutionary for the time. And then, but I, where no, I, I think that's a lot of fun. Yeah, but where it really goes gets hard goes goes hard is um, Bash at the Beach 1996 was one of WCW's pay per view shows, and mm-hmm. there's a tag match between three of WCW's best guys and the Outsiders plus the Third Man. They they were Ooh. for weeks talking about how they got a third guy in the fold. They got a third man coming, and together they're gonna wreak havoc. <laughs> So at the time of the show, 
it late in the when it comes time for the match, the third guy doesn't show immediately. So they just kind of have a two on three match. And eventually, when everybody's down and out, and it looks like WCW might lose, suddenly Hulk Hogan shows up. Oh, and, shit. and everybody and and the commentators at least are like, "Oh my God, Hulk Hogan is here to save WCW one more time." And then he attacks all three WCW wrestlers. Hulk Hogan is revealed to be the third man. Oh, no. Well, see, that's what I was was assuming from the get-go is that Hulk Hogan was going to be the third man. I mean, it's a little obvious in retrospect, but at the time there, it was a big shock moment because it was the first time Hulk Hogan had been a heel in at least a decade. Yeah. So him doing a heel turn is absolutely ins- kind of like what? <laughs> and he yeah. and and he act and he cuts a, a promo after the match as the fans are hurling garbage in the ring. A, a a classic of this era, by the way. When they really hate somebody, they're throwing oh trash my god in the ring. He cuts a promo and he says, "Trash man, <laughs> trash man, eat trash." But he talks about how they're the new world order of professional wrestling, brother. And thus is born the NWO, the new world order. And they would eventually grow and get bigger. And that's a whole other topic of discussion. But point is, Hmm. WCW, the NWO was one of the most popular if not the most popular storyline, there's really only one that could become close. It's a storyline in this entire era of time. Like, WCW started blowing WWF out of the water the night they dis- this the NWO started. Fans could not get enough watching the week-to-week exploits. Like, what is, what's the NWO going to do this week? Who oh in WCW God. is going to be able to stand up to these traitor, these outsiders trying to destroy their company? It was, oh my it was genuinely enthralling television, if a little bit long overall. But we're not going to talk any more about the NWO because we're not watching WCW. Yeah. The, the only reason to bring it up is to understand that right now WCW is kicking WWF's ass. And Vince yeah. McMahon is desperate to come up with, to freshen up his product and save his company. Yeah. And so this bleeds into 1997, where WWF is starting to do a kind of, they have a new head writer whose name is Vince Russo, who is a very controversial figure, which will not explain why right now. But he but he has this idea that WWE needs to kind of be a little be more contemporary. In the new generation, they're still doing a lot of the cartoony Saturday morning stuff they were doing at the peak of Hulkamania, but without any of the big name stars that kind of made it work. Yeah. And the fans are getting tired of it. They need something contemporary. They need something fresh. They need something modern. They need to embrace kind of the count, the edgy counterculture of that time period. You know, we're talking the Jerry Springer show. We're t- we're talking uh, Howard Stern. We're talking South Park. This is the kind the, of the, stuff yeah the, the the everything edgy and extreme sort of vibe that came in the late nineties. And right, and that's there. He was like, that's the kind of stuff WWF needs to be doing. 
and he would become head writer because Vince McMahon mm-hmm. was really into his sales pitch and was kind of desperate for anything to work. And it did yeah. work incredibly. Um, I will have positive things to say about Vince Russo's writing. I will have plenty of negative things to say too, because I'm a pretty firm. <laughs> I'm a pretty firm believer that even though what Vince Russo was very successful for this time period, it's very dated in its own time period and pretty much couldn't have worked any other time but 1997, 1998. But credit where credit's due, it was yeah. it, the and there's a lot of it that doesn't age well. But credit where credit's due, the stuff that does work really well still holds up and is pretty awesome. And it's really easy to understand why. Slowly but surely, WWE was able to get their footing back. And in 1997, you know, they're still kind of... So what I'm hearing is that... Still kind of... Uh, What was that? Uh, no, I was just, I was just saying, like you, you talking about all the stuff that's like hold, that's gonna hold up, uh, that that holds up really well. That's like still really good. And so I'm just saying, like, so what I'm hearing is I'm gonna have plenty of, plenty of stuff for, uh, for really dorky analysis fodder. I think so. Yes. So kind of moving yes. now into 1997, and specifically September 22nd, 1997, emanating from Madison Square Garden. Coincidentally enough, we talked about MSG earlier. And yep. the reason I picked this show is because as a starting point for the Attitude Era is because it's the starting point of a particular f- storyline in the Attitude Era that kind of defines that period. Well, you, we, okay. I'll, I'll, you'll see when we get there. But time for a little bit more of a lay of the land. I was, I was going to say that 1997, WWF is still struggling financially, better than they were a couple of years ago, but still not doing great. Hmm. But the quality of their television is way up the, from what it was only a couple years ago. Like, nice. things are clicking. Fans are getting more engaged with it. And, and pretty soon, they will start start get that uptick. But it's the kind of thing where, like, it takes a while for for it takes a while for good wrestling to pay off and it takes a while for bad wrestling to make it pay make you pay yeah and so right now it's not paid off yet but it will mm-hmm. so the lay of the land we are about two weeks away we are two weeks removed i as for context i watched the last pay-per-view from before this show ground zero in your house and the two episodes before of Monday Night Raw before the one we're watching right now. We're like okay. two weeks away from the next pay-per-view, which was called Bad Blood. And so I'm going to give a quick over, over uh, summary of where everything is right now. So to start, I suppose we should start with kind of the big name player, Stone Cold Steve Austin, who's kind of on the rise in the company. But he's not at the world championship level yet. Right now, um, he's kind of in the middle of a storyline that was really ingenious. It was we're basically at SummerSlam 1997. He was the an Intercontinental Championship match with Owen Hart, and yeah. Owen Hart accidentally broke Stone Cold's neck and legitimately kind of almost paralyzed him that night. Fuck. But Stone Cold did fortunately survived and was able to continue wrestling for a few years after that. But at the time, he's indisposed. He's not he's not medically clear to be a wrestler. So hmm. this causes him to have to um, um, vacate his Intercontinental Championship as well as his he was one half of the tag team champions at the time. Yeah. 
But what's ingenious is at this is what they do is they keep Stone Cold on TV as opposed to having him be all as what would be traditional was instead of having him be like sitting at home, recuperating, whatever they have him still be an active presence on weekly television and how they use them is basically he can still do his signature maneuver, the stone cold stunner. And so they just have him running rough shot on everybody. And I do mean everybody the play by play announcer stunner kayfabe commissioner stunner any wrestler that tries to tell him what's what stunner it was kind of a never-ending adventure of like who's who is stone cold gonna kick whose ass is stone cold gonna kick this week who's gonna kick ass flip him the bird, flip the bird, flip him the bird and walk out Oh my god. And that did a lot to keep Stone Cold popular and make him more popular, even though he's injured. He can't wrestle right now. And it's so like it's then- like uh it's God, I'm trying to think of, of of what it's kind of akin to in, in like in like, you know, television of like uh uh the, the, the side character. It's like it's it's the, the side character that just like does crazy shit and just gets everybody loving them for it. Mm-hmm. And at this point in time, at this and so at this point in time, he's running afoul of the of the WWF officials who are like trying to maintain order on their wrestling show. Thank you very much. <laughs> and instead, the audience is absolutely loving the eight chaos incarnate that is currently Stone Cold Steve Austin. <laughs> so the two major, I call them, main, let's call them the two major like headlining main event storylines right now is let's start with the one that's better. Shawn Michaels versus The Undertaker. So Shawn Michaels, I've mentioned him by name, but haven't <laughs> read what who what he what his character is. He's um tech official like Context contextually, he's kind of just a super athletic cocky wrestler. Subtextually, he's a little bit of a male stripper. When you if you see him, you'll know. Oh, but he calls he's the hard. Is this the guy they did like they did kind of like the the the? Is is this the guy they did kind of like the 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 like heelish gay subtext with, or was that someone else? Uh, no, that's someone else, which is on this show, and we'll talk about it. But at this point, okay, nice. But at this point in time, Shawn Michaels is the heartbreak kid, the sexy boy, (laughs) and he's kind of a top. He's but un, but also he's also a bit of a huge f- coke fiend, and that's at this point in time kind of getting in the way a little bit. Oof. And so there's a lot of uncomfortable tension be- between Sean and some of the other wrestlers because they know what an asshole he is backstage and having to deal with him, and it's bleeding onto the on-screen character. But it's working too because the fans are eating up this asshole dickhead. Yeah. Yeah. And he's now got his new friends, Hunter Hearst Helmsley, on screen now. And China, who is a female bodybuilder who was brought in to be Hunt Triple H's muscle. And they're together in the early stages of what of a group would become D-Generation X, which was basically they would go around cracking edgy jokes at each other and pointing at their dicks and telling everybody that doesn't like them to suck it and doing crotch chops. <laughs> Doesn't necessarily age great, but they were very committed to the bit and everybody loved it. So can't say too much, I suppose. So right now they're running afoul of The Undertaker. 
who is, it's very complicated. He started in 1991 as an undead mortician. Wait, wait, wait the, the Undertaker, the Undertaker popped up this early? Yeah, Undertaker, Undertaker debuted in 1991. Damn. Oh, my bad. 1990 had that one year off. Damn. Yeah, no, he's I been around he like an early 2000s in Deuterino. No, he he's he is a holdover from the Saturday morning cartoon era, but he was so committed to the bit and so badass, he kind of stayed even after they stopped doing that. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. Kind of grandfathered him into that. It's like it's fine. You're cool. Mm-hmm. Nothing else from that time is. But anyway, he's kind of he's 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 an undead zombie wizard guy. It kind of depends on the era how hard we're gonna lean into that and how hard we're gonna make him seem like a normal dude who just uses theatrics to fuck with people. But right about now, he's kind of serious yeah. as a he's kind of a and basically the Undertaker was the WWF champion at SummerSlam 1997 in a match against Bret Hart, where Shawn Michaels was the special guest referee. Shawn Michaels tried to hit Bret Hart in the face with a chair because he doesn't like Bret Hart. At Bret Hart ducked, and he hit Undertaker in the face instead, thus costing Undertaker the match and the championship. So now Undertaker wants his ass severely. And it's kind of a quad- Wait, it was all scripted, right? Yes, 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 yes. Yeah, it's all scripted storyline. Okay, oh, okay, okay, I wasn't. Yeah, okay. Mm-hmm. And so it's all kind of a so it's it's a quasi number one contendership thing. It's I don't it's I don't believe it's officially like the winner of this feud becomes will face Bret Hart for the championship, but it's kind of implied by uh, how prominently featured it is, and the fact that these are two top guys who are former WWF champions themselves. So, like, of course, they're going to go for the title again. Mm-hmm. And right now they're building to the very first, and it's kind of es- and the violence keeps escalating with these two that it's building to the very first hell in a cell match, which it wasn't mm. very well defined what that means at the time, but basically it means it's a every, lock them lock the two of them in a giant steel cage and no and there are no rules. Go crazy. So, so, so it's, it's, it's just kind of a constant back and forth ass beating with each other. Meanwhile, the other top storyline of this time that's not as good is Bret Hart. His part in this is great. He's the WWF champion. And basically, he's kind of adopted a very interesting character. A very uh, int- Because he was kind of a, the, a, a, a rock to keep w to to keep WWF going in the mid nineties, he was their biggest star during that period of time where they almost went out of business, and he was always loyal to the end. And fans loved him, and fans may not have cared for that time period, but they loved Bret Hart as kind of a as a go as a kind of a morally upstanding, um, righteous good guy. But as a nice time, young man, yep. But as time had gone on, you know, I, we're starting to get these more edgy characters and we're seeing the rise of Stone Cold Steve Austin. The fans started liking St- Bret Hart shtick a whole lot less. And they transitioned that into a Bret Hart heel turn and a heel run where he where initially and this is the kind of the impetus for his feud with uh, Stone Cold is he would he would be like. How dare you fan? Like, what do you fans like about this guy? He's a degenerate. 
he's an mm. asshole. He's he's not someone that you can that deserve that deserves to represent the company that can represent the company in a good light. That's me. And yet you've turned your backs on me. Mm-hmm. But to support him. And that was then and that was the big, uh, that was a great storyline itself that took place in 96 and 97. And now it's kind of transitioned to Bret Hart. He has gotten back together, the Hart Foundation. You remember them from 1980, from I, our last few. Now he's gotten a lot of his other extended family in on this. Owen, his brother, Owen Hart, his his brother-in-law, Davy Boy Smith, the British Bulldog. Uh, I think Neidhart's, Jim Neidhart's still there. But he's got this whole family in on this, and they're kind of playing a America, and they are kind of transitioning to an America sucks, our country is great. Mm-hmm. Through us, because we don't like America nationalism mm-hmm. bullshit, but Bret Hart being Bret Hart makes it work. Yeah. But he basically is like America is, is is a bunch of degenerate assholes. We and they boo us. You go to the UK and Canada, they respect us. They respect the fact that we that we are upstanding good guys, not like you dickheads in America. And so he would get massive booze in America and everywhere else in the world, people would cheer him because he was basically saying how much America sucked. And they're like, hey, you right. And, every, and everybody loved that. Yeah. So right now he's in a feud with uh, Del Wilkes, otherwise known as The Patriot. His character was that he wore a mask and loved America. The Patriot. Hmm. That's it. That's the whole, that's it. That's the character. (laughs) Yeah. yeah. His half of this, his half of this is very boring. And that sounds about right. They're building to a few, a, a match called a flag match. Between Bret Hart and his brother-in-law Davy Boy Smith, and the Patriot, and a guy named Vader, who's not super important, right? To be honest, <laughs> you know, in a v- different video, I would be talking to you all about how amazing Big Van Vader is, but by 1997 WWF, nobody really cares, so I'm not going to either. <laughs> he's a legend. He's great, but not right now. He's not great, and he's the fourth most important person in this story. But basically, a flag match. They'll um, they'll they'll uh, get down the rules of this match later because they will do this match more than once. But basically, it's a match where in one corner will be a U.S. flag, and the and another corner will be the Canadian flag, and the team that gets their flag down from the pole first wins. Mm-hmm. It's not great, but that's where we're that's that's what's going on in the WWF Championship scene at the time more but don't worry there is some interesting into there's also a lot of interesting uh kind of threads here one thing i will say that vince russo does really really well is he loves to have interconnected interwoven storylines where you got multiple people where you got multiple people hating and fighting with multiple people all at the same time and they all just kind of and they occasionally kind of collide Specifically, mm-hmm, right mm-hmm. now, Shawn Michaels is in a feud, with, is in a minor feud with Davy Boy Smith because, in, because he was on pay, he was set to uh, fight Davy Boy Smith, who was the European champion at the time. He was fighting for Davy Boy's European Championship, and in fact, two days before this show on a live UK only pay per view, Shawn Michaels beats 
Davy Boy for the you for the uh, European Championship, which uh, caught which caused bo- massive boos and and trash was thrown. Oh, for one oh my God, I And so that happens. Uh, meanwhile, meanwhile, uh, Owen Hart is in an ongoing feud with Stone Cold Steve Austin because Steve Austin, uh, he damn sure isn't going to take too kindly to the guy who broke his neck and in storyline wasn't, isn't very apologetic about the fact that he broke his neck. <laughs> because Owen Hart's the heel at this time. So he, he, he actually wore a shirt that said, Owen 316 says, I just broke your neck. <laughs> <laughs> so Stone Cold is uh, determined to get his pound of flesh about that. And Conveniently, Owen Hart is currently in a tournament, a single elimination tournament, to crown a new Intercontinental mm-hmm. Champion. Because you know, you can't. Uh, Stone Cold is out of commission. He had to drop the title. Yeah. Yeah, so yeah. that's 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 kind of that interwoven stuff I'm talking about with two different guys fighting in different places. Uh, the last championship dimension at this point in time is the tag. They're going to do three mid-card storylines that are not great, but we should talk about them so you have a full picture of this period of time and then we can move on. Uh, the tag team championships are currently being held by... the. He- I did mention that also Stone Cold had to drop the tag team titles, so they crowned new champions. The Headbangers, which... Oh. Uh, a list of thing. I got a list of things that the headbangers do. Uh, let's see. Wear plaid. Wear skirts. Have face. Have weird face paint. Uh, stick out their tongues a lot. Things the headbangers do not do. Headbang. <laughs> God damn it! They're a very weird. Uh, what Vince thinks 90s punk culture looks like <laughs> kind of characters. How do you do, fellow No. And they're currently feuding with the Godwins. They are pig farmers. They're holdovers <laughs> from the new generation. And uh, if that doesn't sound goofy enough to you, here are their names. Henry O. Godwin and Phineas I. Godwin. What the- they, the acronyms of their names are Hog and Pig. Oh my god. And they just introduced a new f- kayfabe family member, their uncle Cletus. And <laughs> <laughs> this is going great. The 1997 says, you know what we need? Another wrestling pig farmer. <laughs> Cletus. Fucking Cletus. Yep, it's great, isn't it? <laughs> And so the, the the Godwins beat the Headbangers in a match, so now they're kind of like the next in line to be the to fight for the tag team champions championships. All right, mm-hmm. uh, I guess we have to talk about this, even though I don't really want to. Oh no! Goldust versus Brian Pillman. Let's talk about that storyline. So, first of all, Goldust. Uh, Goldust. I'll be. Uh, he was a. Uh, he debuted in the mid '90s as um, kind of half a living Oscar statue. He was obsessed with movies and painted himself all gold. But he was also a super aggressive homosexual. 
And so that, and they, and he, and that's why they got the fans to boo him. (laughs) But they decide to turn him babyface. And so they're like, "Mm, here's what we're going to do about that. We're going to make sure that he denies being a homosexual and in fact has a a wife and kids in a loving marriage. Oh, this is who I thought the born again Christian was. Yes. This, this, this part. (laughs) Goldust. Mm. So right now he's a baby face because he's totally straight and has a wife and kids. He's great. Meanwhile, mm. you have Brian, but he still dresses the same way in the ring. He still has the effect on the, the somewhat effeminate outfits and the gold face paint, but because he's totally straight for reals, he can be a good guy. So he gets in a he gets a fight with Brian Pillman, who his character is kind of being like the edgiest asshole you could imagine. He's the loose cannon. You never know what he's gonna do. And what that means right now is Wild card, baby. It, wild card, bitches. <laughs> and right now what that means is him creeping on Goldust's wife, Marlena. Vince okay. Russo got real into this idea of like stealing each other's wives storylines. Come, you you can see where the Jerry Springer stuff comes from here. Comes <laughs> about right here. That and that and uh, the uh, mini the midget wrestling, which will I get might be on this show, but I'll talk more about that in a and the after show if it is on here. I don't remember. I don't like that. <laughs> No, anyway, so the first time Goldust and Brian Pillman, the first major match between Goldust and Brian Pillman was if Brian Pillman lost, he would have to wear a dress until he won another match. Of course. So he lost, and for weeks, he would have to wrestle in a dress. So now, their most recent match that happened at Ground Zero was if Brian Pillman defeats Goldust, then uh, Brian Pillman gets to uh, take Goldust's wife and make her do whatever he wants for the next 30 days. Naturally. (laughs) I know. Women as property angles. Also a thing that happened a lot around this time. Around this time? Yes. Around this time. (laughs) Mm-hmm. Okay. So, yeah. I, look. I, look. I don't want. I don't want to. I don't want to use a certain name that starts with an E this episode, if at all possible. But uh. But uh. Yeah. Well, they weren't. They, let's put it like this: they weren't gambling on her in matches. They weren't putting her services on the line in matches to be won. But of course, Brian Pillman wins. And he qua- he effectively kidnaps her, and for the last few weeks we've gotten to see thing we've gotten to see videos he sends called Brian Pillman Triple X Files nineties. Oh no! But also where he strongly implies that he has had sex with Marlena a lot, and I'll remind you that he won the rights to her and to have her around in a wrestling match, and she's clearly not consenting to any of this. <laughs> God damn it. So, you know, awesome. Not the last time that rape is a factor in a, re- in a WWE storyline, but we're not getting to that any time today. <laughs> and, and last in the last week's show, we got a, uh, 
He had Marlena come to the ring in a sexy black dress with kind of edgy 90s kind of fashion sense. It's it's shitty. Yeah. And parade her around so that Goldust can be like, oh no, my wife is being forced to dress like a 90s hooker or whatever the implication was supposed to be. So that's where that's at. All right, time to let's move on to something a lot more culturally sensitive, like uh, the WWF race war. Oh, Um, God damn it. I'm sorry, the gang war. My bad. No. No. You know, I just want to point out that I knew you'd warn me that 90s '90s was a shit show, Mm -hmm. but dear God... I was, I, I, I was mean I was and not, opened with all the good stuff that, that holds up well. <laughs> I was not ready for the utter deluge of what the fuck that you're about to throw at me in this single episode. Mm-hmm. So, WF Gang Wars. Basically an idea of, like, look, we have all these wrestlers who kind of suck on their own and aren't really doing anything. What if we just threw them together and let them fight each other all the time? In factions. Which I'm not actually against the idea of putting a lot of people, putting people in factions to give them something to do and a sense of a character direction. That's something mm-hmm. that New Japan Pro Wrestling, which is a company I do like, does a lot. But anyway, here are the factions. You have the, uh, the DOA, the Disciples of Apocalypse. They are your uh, white, all white. Um, uh, they're your all white, uh, wrestling, uh, band of bikers. Yeah. I don't have, oh, the bike, uh, let's have their names. Uh, let's see. They're, they are crush chains, skull and eight ball. Good stuff here. They're of course the baby faces of this plot. Now let's move to Los Los Bariquas. They are the, uh, Puerto Rican. Everyone's from Puerto Rico. Yeah. We have uh, Sabio Vega, Miguel Perez, Jose Estrada Jr., and Jesus Castillo. No one besides Sabio Vega anyone remembers now. Up, I have lost David again. How unfortunate. I'm just going to take this time. All right, you back? Like I said, Wi-Fi's being dodgy. Mm-hmm. You have the Truth Commission which was to play on the South African Truth and Reconciliation Commission. They are a South African militant group. Their uh, groups are, their, uh, their members are Kurgan the Interrogator, Recon, Sniper, and Tank. We're just killing it with the names. And now we have reached the Nation of Domination which is an all-black group that takes a lot of influences from the Nation of Islam and the Black Panthers. Uh, by the time this group kind of got going, they were kind of established as a group. They were they are way more important than the other three groups I just mentioned here. <laughs> Mainly because they had way better wrestlers in the group than the other three groups I just mentioned. <laughs> so, you know, cream rose on them. Yeah. But basically, when they would get involved in hefty storylines, it would be about how, like, Black people are give are not treated fairly in the WWF and in society at large and all that stuff. Obviously, they were bad guys. Of course, if it sounds based and epic to us now, of course they were bad guys in the nineties. And so their leader at this time is Farouk. 
uh, and his members are D and the other group members of the group are D'Lo Brown, comma Mustafa, and Rocky Mayavia, who would become quickly known as The Rock. This was kind of Rock, The Rock's big breakout in the WWF because he debuted as Rocky Maivia as a tribute to his father, who was a wrestler named Rocky Johnson, and his grandfather, who was a wrestler, High Chief Peter Maivia. And he was kind of a dork, and he was a go, happy to be here, go happy go lucky dork, and nobody liked him. As is famous, he did get a few chants, "Die, Rocky, die!" Though I, th- I think that might have been the Rocky the in German. I don't. <laughs> I'm glad you got that one. <laughs> no. Oh God. Anyway. So yeah. So he kind of he kind of turns heel, starts getting cocky and interesting, and joins the Nation of Domination. Of course. So that's so right now they're just kind of in a never-ending series of punching each other. Yeah. Because they're all just in different groups. What else are they going to do? Hmm. And then um was something else. I feel like there was something else I was gonna mention at this point. No, nope, hmm. I think that's everything. I, I did cover the three storylines, the mid-card storylines. Um yeah, this is I feel like you've already gotten a decent sense of what wrestling is gonna be like in 1997. Spoiler warning, God. very good in some places, very bad in others. <laughs> Terrible, awful, horrible, no good, very bad. Yeah, we've been here for about an, for an hour, which I'm, I'm pretty happy with by that. I felt like I had a lot of information I had to cover. Yeah, that, that, was, an, that was an impressive uh, info dump for the sheer volume of shit. I feel like I, sh- I feel sometimes I like to just like dump stuff on you and let you react in real time, but I felt like I shouldn't do that this time because this is where I know I appreciate that because because I feel like if it, if it were like back half of this was just going to be me kind of reeling. No, like, you you needed to be prepared for Goldust Marlene, uh, the Goldust Marlene uh, film and stuff, and you need to be prepared for gang wars. I think. I, oh, I really need to be prepared for Gang Wars, dude. I'm not going to... I wouldn't survive... I'm barely going to survive Gang Wars as is. I'm not... I, like, would not have survived it had without any forewarning. I would have just, like, <laughs> killed over on the spot. But yeah, that covers all the major stuff going on in the WWF right now. Um, hmm. But now we're an hour deep, which means we're going to go uh, check out... We're going to go watch the show September 22nd, 1997, Monday Night Raw emanating from Madison Square Garden. We're not watching wrestling. We're not watching WCW this week. (laughs) (laughs) I apologize. (laughs) (laughs) And we will see you guys in part two. Honestly, I'm going to open with, I I do not watch any of the episodes before we do. Because mm-hmm. I don't, I want to have the same kind of reactions unless I've seen it before. Which for this episode I hadn't. Um, hmm. I was, I was expecting a little more to actually happen. It's, it's, yeah, yeah. I was kind of noticing the same thing. Like I didn't really want to say anything like in the throes of it, but like, mm-hmm. yeah, that felt like a whole lot of nothing. In a it way. felt, it felt very much like a holding pattern episode, which I was, was a little disappointing. But it was. I mean, I mean, 
there it had its moments, but like mm -hmm. nothing felt momentous at all. Mm -hmm. And I really did figure it was going to be uh, fine because it's it's a Madison Square Garden show. Usually, kind of yeah. go all out with those, but which I, they did I know, a few they, times. They built it up like they built mm -hmm. they built up that like there. This is a proud tradition, a grand life. But it was just kind of there. There mm -hmm. was nothing like really wild going on. Yeah, I'm. I'm not going to say that the episodes that I watched before this one were better, but they were certainly more um, um, momentous. There was a lot more going on. Yeah, I. Um, I don't know. I will say this: that was a whole lot of '90s. That's definitely true. Um, I yeah. Yeah, everything from the s from the aesthetic to um, a lot of the characters and their and their appearances very nineties. It was it was. I mean, I think that's the thing to really talk about with with this right now mm -hmm. is is it's so it feels so different from from the eighties. It feels that golden age vibe is gone, mm -hmm. and we are in this kind of limbo period of it's still kind of corny and still weirdly self-serious for what it is mm -hmm. um, in a way that like, while obviously contemporary stuff is self-serious, it's there's, there is this, uh, it feels, it feels a little more backed up somehow. Mm -hmm. Whereas here, and maybe this is again, just cause it was a big kind of filler feeling episode. Um, but it's this very grim dark self-seriousness that's just still backed up by ultimately utter irreverence mm -hmm. yeah i think i think that's a good point to it it's, it's kind of it's all it's it is all pretty serious but it's also in ridiculous and kind of and still as silly yeah. as it's always has ever been just silly in a less kid-friendly way <laughs> It's it, yeah it 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 feels like it's in total limbo right now, mm -hmm. um because so like off the bat I noticed a much um a much darker color palette across the board uh you mm -hmm. know the lighting was a lot more stark it wasn't like the kind of bright oversaturated vibe of the eighties mm -hmm. um with all of the bright neon colors and all like the I think the every I think and, everybody wore black yeah a Some lot of black, of black. It was a lot lot of dark lot of dark colors um a lot of a lot of kind of stark contrast lighting um a lot more kind of um technical flair toward the um toward the i'm i'm not i'm not sure how to put it because ostentatious is a better way to describe the 80s but like uh a, 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 like technical penchant toward um toward more straight flash rather than rather than glitz mm -hmm. if that makes any sense yeah um it it the the other the other thing too is like um it it was this very um this very interesting thing of we have all of these all of these people that that existed in the in the in the in the golden age era that now have to find their place in the new era mm -hmm. um, among all the, all the people who currently are around and were created specifically for the new era. Mm -hmm. um, and it's, it creates this really, this really weird feeling of stuff. Like, again, like I, I, I noted how like 
announcers are not are not wearing tuxes anymore. They're they're in they're in like leather jackets or in or in Lawler's case, whatever the fuck that was. That's his that's um, his that's his like regal king attire that he wears yeah, everywhere. <laughs> uh some 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 like some music some like music man on drugs looking get up with no shirt underneath mm-hmm. and a crown some shines <laughs> um uh, just perfectly goes along with what a what what an ass he is mm-hmm. um um and you have neither, like neither of us were very impressed by jerry lawler yeah no i told i said to austin like this is uh, my catchphrase i think for the for 90s era episodes is going to be shut up lawler mm-hmm. i, I- I feel like we're of the wrong age and generation to really like Lawler in any particular way. I I will say though, uh, I already have dollar signs spinning in my eyes. Uh, you were talking earlier about the Austin three sixteen shirts, and now mm-hmm. uh, like uh, have uh, you know you know God willing this uh, this this podcast gets big enough. One of the first pieces of merch I think I'll want to put out is a shut up Lawler shirt. <laughs> I love it. But yeah, oh, yeah. Lawler is just extre- is ex- especially when it comes to the women. He is extremely crass. God, and I... it fit the time, and a lot and a lot of people watching that really liked it because they also felt the same way that he did about it. But as someone who, at the very who, isn't particularly appreciative of of like. Sex women being sexual objects for the as sake of it is respect women. <laughs> that too, <laughs> that was I was going on is like I as I as I also have also come at from an era where right before I came in right before women's wrestling started being important, and I've never really been a fan during a period when it was really really unimportant. <laughs> Yeah. So it's hard for me to get on this, get into that that late '90s vibe of like, yeah, man, all these, all of these hot women. I'm gonna fucking go on my dial-up computer and download whatever pictures <laughs> I can find and jerk off. <laughs> which was, a, which was a real reality of of that time period. Um, uh, I'm pretty sure you will find that. that Sable, who we got to see in a goofy ass laser tag commercial on this episode. Episode was like one of the most downloaded women of the late nineties because no. because everyone want, was wanting to perv out to her. So it's it's very hard to get into that same vibe. And if you if you're not in it, then Jerry Lawler is just a creepy asshole. <laughs> oh, it hurts so much. Oh God. Okay. Um. So yeah, so we have stuff like that. We have we have Vince McMahon who's slowly being brought to prominence by the writing team. Yeah. Um, um we have um honestly the one of the biggest uh shifts to me was the was the heart were, were the heart boys. Um mm-hmm. specifically because when we watched the eighties episode, um the heart tag team almost felt like this again, we were talking about the Saturday morning cartoon vibes. They felt like this like conniving duo of like villainous sidekicks kind of mm-hmm. like these mis these these like these like i'm evil <laughs> mischief I'm makers yeah wow. yeah kind of kind of kind of impish kind of kind of oafish kind of uh you know just big they're, they're the guys that that like the good guys beat up 
so they don't yeah. have to beat up the bad guy, the big bad guy. But now, but now, Heart Foundation as in this era is like a complete heel turn, where it's it's they still have like that little bit of pink, but it's the '90s now, so they're in mostly black, and the pink are just accents, and, and they have leather. and they have these leather jackets. And Brett, for some reason, is a is a, is a face, um, which just feels weird. Well, no, he's a heel. He's just a very understandable heel. Because this heel gimmick is America sucks because they're a bunch of degenerate assholes. And it's like, well, you make a good point. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) We sympathize with you, Brett. Yeah. Um, Oh, Canada. Um, Yeah. But, but, but either way, it's, it's just, it feels so, so like, so bizarre. (laughs) Um, like that that really stuck out to me was just like the transformation i think i think the transformation of the heart foundation specifically is so indicative Mm -hmm. of that kind of tone shift right um where 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 even if the silliness came from just kind of more implicit vibes to Mm -hmm. to uh to a wrestler's persona, it mm. just does a complete 180, and they're they're big and dark and scary now, and not mm. like, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, and honestly, I will say that as much as this episode was a little disappointing to watch, I will say that like I think the biggest takeaway I wanted for this episode was to was to show that that tonal shift. Mm-hmm. And, and I think I think, you, I think, I think we did that. I think we did. I think we did a pull accomplish that. You picked a phenomenal episode for that. I just wish there were more going on. No, um, there's not. There's not as much interesting stuff to talk about as we've had before. This, what, what? Although I do kind of appreciate this as my introduction to the '90s, um, mm. partially because of that tone shift uh, thing, and partially because like this felt like an introduction of the Rogues Gallery, like a parade of the Rogues Gallery of the '90s, if you will. Yeah, it did. Um, for for a multitude of reasons. Um, good and bad. Uh, whether, you get, all, you get yeah. a lot of the good and a lot of the bad. Well, it's 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 interesting too because you were telling me about all these like interconnecting storylines and and all of this crazy heavy plot stuff that we had going into this, and it was all there. It was just the very surface level of all of it. And it um, didn't advance you know, anywhere. Yeah, it didn't. It, it they were just all kind of there, like the nation of domination. Um, got to have their exhibition feeling. I'm matches very, I'm very was... sad that we did not get to see any more of the gang wars. I'm very I built up those stupid assholes and then none of so them are happy. there. That, that I got to have like a, a tasting plate of the race war, gang uh, war, whatever. Um, before before whatever I have to endure when when it really gets going. But like, mm-hmm. but it was cool to see like the nation of domination in action because they're like you like you said in the first half, they're all very clearly talented wrestlers. They are all great on their feet. They're all beautiful at doing work. Mm-hmm. Um, they all they they're all strong as hell and nimble mm-hmm. and and just generally really, really clearly talented athletes. And like, it was cool to watch them shine. Like there's a reason. Well, there's two reasons, but one of the reasons yeah. why, um, like once they kind of, they, once the gang wars thing fades out and they move on to other stuff, the nation survive, the nation continues on as a, as a group for a while longer after that. And I, and one oh, of yeah. the reasons, and one of the reasons is, is that they're way better than most of the other groups. Well, yeah, they're, they like 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 
I spent a lot of last week kind of like, like um, kind of like fanboying over tech uh, over technique. So I don't want to like mm-hmm. hyper fixate on that as much this week. But but I, but all this to say, like it was cool to see them. It was mm-hmm. cool to watch them work and 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 really show off. But we just like got no storyline beats for them. Like like mm-hmm. rock the the rock didn't get to cut a promo. None of them really got to cut a promo. Um, I, by the way, I feel so proud of myself for like I'm starting to use technical terms. Yeah. Great. Also, I'm surpri- um, I am surprised by the lack of promos from like the mid card people because I've had to deal yeah. with that week. I had to deal with that on a regular basis. The last two episodes, I I just I had to listen to a promo from the fucking Truth Commission. Why? <laughs> <laughs> that no, that like on the list of the people who of the groups that people least care about from the gang wars, the Truth Commission is at the bottom. <laughs> It's the absolute <laughs> bottom of that. And like, I had to, <laughs> and I had to listen to them talk, but this time, no, only the important characters <laughs> get to talk this time. And by the important characters, we mean, we mean, uh, Bret Hart, uh, um, Shawn Michaels, Steve uh, Stone Cold, and the Undertaker. I think are it. Yeah, kind of under. Yeah, oh yeah, Undertaker. And, Undertaker and Stone does Cold. Shit. And Brian Pillman yeah. has a th- thing before his match, but yeah, which which the Brian Pillman match um, that, that oh was a, that was interesting. That was so it was like such a bizarre beast because and 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 uh, my camera for like like for some reason my my side of the stream froze, um, and it froze like sometime in between when it started off as like a friendly match of two guys dicking around and when it got serious. Yeah. Okay. Um, I, don't, I don't know. They show it happened in in lot on the lot on live. It happened during the commercial break. But basically, what happened was Marlena accidentally or otherwise hit hit um, Owen Hart in the head with her purse, and so suddenly Owen's like, "Hey, what the fuck, man? Why is she hitting me? What? Why is she yeah. interfering? This is a dick. This is a fuck around and not really try match. What is she doing?" <laughs> Yeah, and that yeah. and that was the and that was the uh, reason for why it, okay. the second half of the match was more like an actual. That's fight. a we- that's a weird thing to have happen off screen. Yeah, no, it's a super important plot beat, but to the to the whole segment. But now nah, we're going to do that during the commercial break. <laughs> yeah, I, I, the, I, I I've talked a lot about kind of like the editing and pacing I've noticed in past mm-hmm. episodes, and this was a really interesting beast in that. I don't know what to make of like the the editing and pacing here. It was all just kind of like it, it wasn't like super fast paced. It wasn't super slow paced. It wasn't like frenetic and stressy like I found the eighties to be. Um, it was it was just kind of there, going at whatever damn speed it felt like in the moment. Which is a um, little, which is kind of weird, in because like that, the idea of like a frenetic pace is a Vince Russo hallmark. Yeah, but he, like, but, but like, do you get what I'm saying though? Kind of like, like yeah. something about yeah. It was it was it was kind of weirdly paced, and some of the commercial breaks are very were very weirdly placed. <laughs> My we, we made favorite. one thing we made we made fun of this is you you gonna tell it. <laughs> yep. Oh yeah. So so in the. Uh, uh, oh God! Remind me of their names again. It was a uh, Cactus Jack and uh, Triple H in a False Count Anywhere match. Yeah, yeah, Ca- Cactus Jack and uh, or Captain Jack and Triple H. Cactus Jack um, got it right the first time. Oh, Cactus! I thought you cactus. were saying Captain the whole no, time. No, Cactus Jack. Okay, Cactus Jack. 
uh, and Triple H um, having a having a rough match, having a having hardcore, a hardcore. Uh, hardcore no no holds barred match. Um, and oh, I just got what no holds barred means. Yeah, um, no. As anyway, in, like, there are no holds that are illegal. Yeah, I just I just like understood what that phrase is saying after 22 years of life why am i so why am i like this uh almost 23 years of life jesus david anyway um um but yeah so cactus jack and triple h we're going we're we're we're, we're having a we're having a uh uh hardcore match um <laughs> there was a point where triple h so so it started off with with cactus jack just yeeting a trash can uh, of, onto onto Triple H's head that was then brought back a number of times in the fight, mm-hmm. um, and at and at one point we have Triple H grabbing the trash can. He's about to slam it over Cactus Jack's head, and right before he does, like right before it makes impact, it cuts the commercial, <laughs> and then it comes back from commercial, and and Cactus Jack has a broom, Triple H has a broom that he's eating over a over Cactus Jack's back in a very unsafe manner. I, I just want to once again add, mm-hmm. like, like you were going, you're hitting the spine there, buddy. That's, that's not, that's not okay. That's very, um, that's it's very painful, very dangerous. Um, but then a few seconds after, after the, the, the mop hit, uh, we cut back to the, 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 what where we were before commercial and it, yep. The, 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 yeah, the, he the hit trash him. can, the, the trash can, uh, uh, connects. Like it was just the, the dumbest thing to cut on. Like why? Like, why did and then you it not, cut back not, to it. Why did you not? Why did you not show the impact and then cut? <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, yeah. And like, if you're if you're if you don't want to show the impact just because like it's a fun like audience expectations subversion, sure. But then it cut back to it like it's some sort of cliffhanger. Like, oh no, the trash can that was like an inch above his head before we cut. I wonder if it. I wonder if it made contact. And then it did. At the, yeah, what cool. Thanks, 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 guys. Which um that was one of the more one of the few in, super interesting things that actually happened on this episode. It, that that was our, a, that was a really cool fight. I yeah, I, I our, do agree. Our, that was our a really first good foray fight. into like real hardcore wrestling. Mm-hmm. And and yeah, it looks. I, oh, something I noticed too, uh, especially during. I can't remember if it was during this match or during the heart match, uh, the or the Bret Hart match. I mean, um. Mm-hmm. I something I noticed that I, that I haven't in any of the episode other things we've watched thus far. You know, the three other things we've watched mm-hmm. um, um, was I could hear them making uh, making contact with the mat. I could hear the slam of body that, on the mat. That, that was probably the hardcore match because they did a lot of on the concrete outside the ring and the ring a and the well, ramp. Well, it wasn't. Well, the that's ring. the thing. It wasn't. It wasn't when they were in the ring, it, or it wasn't when they were out of the ring. It was when they were in the ring. Um, hmm, I, I don't know. That could be either one. But those there were some I, loud mats. I yeah, which I almost have to wonder if that was intentional. Like if they if they sound designed that to happen because it's the gritty '90s now, mm-hmm. and we want every impact to hurt more. Like I because because wasn't I didn't hear any of that in the '80s. I didn't hear any of that in the contemporary stuff. Didn't hear any of that in Lucha Underground. Which which is which is why uh, in one of the in in episode one or two I asked you about what the mats are made of because like I couldn't hear any impact. It felt like it mm. felt like there must be a lot of padding there. But here, 
it, it, but 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 then you told me they were hard and i'm like okay so they're just not like my but like here it almost seemed like they were mic'd like they were reverberating that's um a thing that they do, that is done i don't know what what um I don't know what WWE was specifically doing at this point in time, but that's not an uncommon practice to put a mic yeah. under the ring. Um, in fact, in fact, um, I don't, I don't know if I'll ever have, and I don't know if I'll ever have a chance to bring this up again. So I want to bring it up is yeah. that, you know, and, um, NBC in the, around a couple of years from this point in time, did a show, a special, a TV special called pro wrestling exposed, the exposed pro wrestling's greatest secrets. Which is an absolute trash tier show that is hilarious for how bad it is. <laughs> they're, they're, it's basically them explaining how wrestling works, but yeah. only half of it is accurate, and they act super condescending about it the whole time. Like they act like wrestling fans are dumb, fuck, stupid, and don't understand that half of this is happening. Like they're like they like when they show how they fake a move, they're like. Fans don't know the difference because they don't know the secrets, and they're like, "Dude, <laughs> we 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 can we know we, we we know we can tell like 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 uh, like on that note, you know, I starting to starting to pick up more and more of 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 these moments. I pointed out to Austin we were watching toward the end, like there was a hair pull that that I just for some reason really noticed was like that's not gonna hurt no this is the super obvious like (laughs) yeah well it wasn't even that it was like dude it was like this light grab from the front and dude was like wincing i think it was hart bret hart was like because he's a little hair (laughs) between the two between him and gold dust yeah uh it was like wincing like it was some like great like great stinging pain shooting Mm. through his bowels like like stuff like that like like we we know it's it, it, yeah don't 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 do that like now nah, if 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 you if we really think about it it's pretty easy to figure out we just kind of we we roll with it yeah um so so yeah there's stuff like that um but but yeah i i but anyway yeah what i'm saying is that exposed like that. pro wrestling secrets they talk about like that's yeah they talk about the mics thing and they're and, yep. and they like and i was like oh yeah which that's one of the which few it, things they actually got right. <laughs> which again, I have to wonder if they're doing to kind of amplify the grim, dark aesthetic in the nineties. That could be it. Yeah. yeah. Um, so there was, so there was that. Um, um, I see like, God, I don't really know what else to latch on to other than, than the whole Stone Cold Steve. Yeah. I feel, I feel like we well, have to talk about that because that was the number okay, one there, reason there, I there, this there, there, I think there are two things. Yeah, yeah. I think there are two things I really kind of want to like focus on to like kind of squeeze content out of for this mm-hmm. is the Stone Cold Steve Austin thing and the messy endings. Those are the two that I really want to talk about, but not even because they're like I can't like there. There's nothing in this for me to like really deeply latch onto to do a philosophical analysis of. Like aside mm-hmm. from the fact that it's the '90s now and we're this is we're what we're doing, more man. blatantly macking on we're, we're we're more blatantly sexually macking on women and everything's a little more grim, dark, and everything's a little more extreme. Like there's mm-hmm. not much for me to analyze. At least it doesn't feel like it. But 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 I want to talk about these two things just because they're so funny. Yeah. So so kind of like the one reason I picked this damn episode. 
was it's kind of it's 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 the retroactive almost uh start of stone cold steve austin versus vince mcmahon which was the feud of the attitude era everything about this feud is everything about that is defined that defines the attitude era in many people's minds the attitude era doesn't really start until their feud does and everyone has pretty much agreed that when they stopped in 2001 that was it (laughs) along with a few other factors but that was a big factor in everyone being like and the attitude era stops here oh my god and so it was just (laughs) And so I kind of, I kind of picked up on like the start of this, which is, it's, it's, if we get a talk, we'll, we'll almost certainly get to talk more about it uh, in other episodes, but yeah. the part that kind of at least picks up to me, the, like the thing I latch on to knowing where the storyline goes anyway, is that in the, from where it starts, Vince McMahon is a pretty reasonable figure here. Yeah. He's, he's coming in to play the voice of reason. And, and and I made a comment to Austin, which I which I feel especially um, I, I I think I especially kind of like picked up on after after mm-hmm. watching Lucha Underground last week is uh is like man it really feels like Vince McMahon just like really wanted to have an acting career but got plopped with this like pro wrestling thing instead um because because he's he's pouring his heart and soul into those lines he's not very good at delivering them but damn now, if he's not he'll get, good, he'll, he's not he'll, he'll get better because right right now he's kind of well, playing yeah. a role that he's not very well suited to which is kind of this like be, uh like beleaguered middle management this yeah this probably his kayfabe job at this point but he's yeah. he's kind of like he's like stressed out and he's like trying to maintain the peace and he's just kind of would like everyone to stop causing chaos all the time yeah and stone cold is like no no how about i do anyway (laughs) and vince mcmahon will eventually figure out that he's way better at being a a a megalomaniacal evil boss (laughs) that's funny because like because because we're talking about like all the gritty realism of the '90s era, and I can feel McMahon really leaning into it because he seems like he it, it he it, it it feels like he really likes trying to create this very convincing character. Like I said, he's pouring mm-hmm. his heart and soul into those lines. Whereas it, now in contemporary era, um, he um, he he's just like this cartoon character. And it doesn't come across with the whole, with the mm-hmm. at least in the one episode with the few right. line deliveries from him I saw. It doesn't come across like he's putting the same amount of passion into that character. But, but man, it's just so natural for him. But it's just, it, 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 it feels like this bonkers asshole. Yeah, it just feels correct. It just feels like this is actually just who Vince McMahon is in real life. And it's he's the most gonna, convincing like, character on mm-hmm. all of WWE. He's the he's he's the realest one here. <laughs> uh, you're doing great, buddy. Like, but like right now, but like as I was saying, is that he he's the voice of reason, and he's he's mm-hmm. he's the voice of order, trying to fight back against pure chaos in Stone Cold Steve Austin, who has seemingly no set moral code. More so than it's just all about 
I'm here to raise hell because people aren't giving me what I want. <laughs> the ultimate brat. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, a little bit, but everyone loves him for it because he's kind of kick-ass. And hey, man, hey, man, he goes hard. He does, and and in this episode, Vince McMahon gives is 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 portraying these very very fair points of like, dude, two months ago you got your neck broke. Yeah. If you wrestle right now, you could like end your own career from getting re-injured. But Stone Cold's like, mm, I hear you, but I don't care. I want to wrestle, and you're not letting me wrestle, so I'm gonna kick your ass. It's like a petulant child. Mm-hmm. Like, give me what I want. And right now, you know, Vince McMahon is the bad guy in the sense that the audience doesn't want to be told that Vince Stone Cold can't wrestle. <laughs> the ultimate irony of Vince McMahon's character arc. And he will become, but he, but he will later become this insane, sadistic asshole. <laughs> and Stone Cold will be very blatantly the guy in the right when they decide to lay, lean more into this, like, Everything like they they Stone Cold very much becomes kind of like an like a like an avatar for if everyone who has ever want they use this metaphor a lot, but anyone who has ever wanted to beat up their boss sees themselves in Stone Cold. Stone it's, Cold. Oh it's this God! It's this hellogen X energy here. Oh and God! It's so that's so larpy. There, it's and that can be interesting. They run this story differently now, but we're not going to talk about that. We're going to talk about the not how they did it in the nineties, but they, they definitely made stone cold out to be like everyone's everyone can live vicariously through stone cold, beating up his boss because you can't do that to your own. And so to play <laughs> off of that, beating up everyone really. Yeah. At this point in time, he's beating up everybody. They will kind of calm that down and kind of frame it. So it's more of Vince McMahon and his cronies or who he specifically hits and no one else really, but they'll lean into this evil corporate, you know, boss who only wants what he wants. And no, we've talked about this a little bit of he will want, he wants what he wants and he doesn't really care what the little people want, what the, what the regular man wants. He wants what I want, and and Stone Cold's going to be a rebel against that. But right now, they're still kind of in transition to that situ- that period. Yeah. And so it's kind of funny to see it now. We're like, where it feels like obviously Vince McMahon's in the right here, dude. But yeah, later he will very obviously be not because he's going to go to extreme lengths. <laughs> To punish Stone Cold Steve Austin over this, but this—I well, mean, to be start. fair, Stone Cold did give him a seizure, supposedly. <laughs> <laughs> the world's most Vince McMahon would all, as I said, Vince McMahon would get plenty of practice at figuring out how to sell a Stone Cold stunner, which is a neck breaker, or not a neck breaker. It's like a chin breaker. Like, like if I'm having to explain to you why the Stone Cold Stunner hurts, it's a kick to the gut, and then he's driving your chin into his shoulder. That's what's supposed to happen in in a kayfabe explanation of why that. What Vince McMahon does is he takes the move, he kind of rolls over Steve Austin, and then just starts seizing. (laughs) 
or flopping around like a fish. How you how you would like to describe it is up to you. I just want to point out. I just really want to point out that the that the nineties are like that nineties WWF is taking itself so damn seriously, and everything's supposed to be so like extreme and gritty. But this is the hardest I've laughed out of all of our episodes so far. Just losing it over the crazy shit that's going on. It's so dumb and it's so silly, and I love it. Whistling. <laughs> I'm trying to get a hold of myself here. No, no, this is great content. (laughs) I feel like I feel like every podcast has to have that episode every once in a while where just one or one or both of the hosts just absolutely breaks over mm-hmm. how ridiculous the thing is, and, and the that's ni- the meme and the of the 90s episode. Has been, and the night and our intro to the nineties is your is your is 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 the we is the uh oh we broke David episode. Yep. And then um, <laughs> let's go ahead and talk about the ending, I guess, because uh, messy got... endings. Oh my right. god! I guess Those... I will say is that as much as this episode doesn't really move plot very much it does touch on a couple of tropes that i was hoping we'd get to see from this era of time and under vince russo's directive the main one being the everybody let's end a match by everybody running out and just start fighting and then it's just over i guess call in everybody i like my fellow spy kids 3d fans like um this episode had five matches, one of which was a no was a match where you could not get disqualified. Yeah. So there's four matches where that you could have had the finish that I'm about to talk about. Two of them ended that way, and the main event had that happen right after the match. And now that I think about it, that also happened right after the first match too. <laughs> yep, yep. It was yeah, we had a lot of just people storming the stage out of nowhere. You know, I always have to wonder if they took inspiration from that groundbreaking moment where okay, okay, by the way, this is this is really random. Um how how much post do you feel like doing on these episodes? Because I have a really funny gag in mind, but I have I want to ask you about it at first. Um I don't mind, go for it. Uh how would you how would you feel about about until we go back to the eighties putting putting a censor bleep over over uh over my use of a certain uh certain peripheral character's name every time I have to refer to her? Um what are we meaning here? Um um Miss Elizabeth <laughs> I don't know why. I'm just so tired already of talking about her that I just want to like censor her until we absolutely have to go back to the 80s and be like, oh yeah, she's here. <laughs> we've kind of now we've kind of now created our own like phrase for like absolutely absurdly s- frequent replays of the same moment over and over again. Yeah, it's it's the it's the uh, it's the Elizabeth classic. <laughs> um, uh, 
Um, that that's her finishing move. Yeah, <laughs> is endless replays. The 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 spirit of Miss Elizabeth. Anyway, um, so so yeah, uh, so if you if you feel like going back and post and and making a gag out of that, by all means. If not, completely understand. Anyway, I almost feel like I almost wonder if Vince Russo took some inspiration from the momentous moment of of Elizabeth pulling, um, pulling uh, Hulk Hogan out on stage and just him jumping in and wailing, because it kind of has like that energy with like silly cartoon Simpsons like vibes to it, where <laughs> it's just like everybody comes in and starts wailing like it ha- everybody does it every single time yeah and there's no rhyme or reason it's just it's just like it's just they almost like materialize out of nowhere and it's it's so i cannot again i can't help but just die of laughter when i see it because it's so ridiculous just out of nowhere the stage just <laughs> explodes with people like suddenly there's it's 10 people going in, in the ring and they're all just throwing hands my personal favorite in this episode is, is china because because sure she's getting involved every time people are storming the stage but then there was also the uh the the brutal match where mm-hmm. she flies in on on uh Cassius oh yeah absolutely like after like she tries to like she's trying to do a thing where she tries to break up the pin by jumping on cactus jack before the match is over but then she's too late but then it's, she's too late so like right after cactus jack gets the last pin she's just right there and jumps just on looks impotent as hell it's like oh oh my god it's so funny and like again i get what they were going for it's it, it's really funny because it kind of uh it it I'm reminded of the ending of of Lucha Underground episode one, where where all of a sudden these these mercenaries came in out out of nowhere, right? And it was this really effective moment where the tables got completely turned, and I was sitting there in kind of this actual shock, and it was this great sinister moment from the from the commissioner, um, just kind of you know again the the whole the whole welcome to Lucha Underground now it's like a town, but here. It doesn't. It doesn't serve a purpose other than just chaos. Yeah, kinda. And that's that's. If I had to tell you the worst thing about Vince Russo era writing in terms of like quality of writing, if we're not talking about yeah, like, no, no, if we're not, not, if we're not talking about political bullshit, right? If we're not talking about like the content, like the the appropriateness of the content, if we're talking strictly speaking, the quality of the writing in terms of mm. like structure and you know, that kind of stuff. That's absolutely one of Vince Russo's worst aspects is he con is he uses that all the time. Yeah. Every time. Which it's it really funny because you were talking about how cool it is and how effective he was at intertwining all of these narratives. And I agree. I think it takes a lot of talent to do that and to do it in a way that's accessible and comprehensible. Mm-hmm. Like this being my first nineties episode and me not being great with names and all this stuff. Mm-hmm. I was kind of having trouble like picking up on some, but I kind of tell that like everything is, is interconnected more so than it was, you know, when I was talking about right. it in eighties era or contemporary era, like but on this, everything ep- but on this episode, like- the only way, way that it's interconnected is it just means everybody shows up to punch each other after. <laughs> yeah. <that. laughs> yeah. And, and it's so it's it's really funny that that kind of tendency is born uh, is 
is born out of really good writing, but the tendency in itself is just such sloppy writing that and it's so and it's, and it's not, ridiculous. And it's not something that happens every time. I, I hate that I keep coming back to the episodes I watched two days ago, watched two episodes ago, but they yeah. would do more, but they do more clever stuff with it than that. For example, like one of the more older episodes I watched, you get Shawn Michaels doing, you know, doing a promo on the undertaker, but then later, but then later when the British bulldog comes out for a match, Shawn Michaels will beat him with a chair and then that's it. Yeah. It's like, it, you, you don't have this and everyone brawls the end, but there's there, it feels more like a focused actual character beat. Which I kind of have to wonder again, uh, you, you were talking about how this was after a really big show for them in London. And you were yes, wondering they did they a, one like... night, a one night only. It was a Saturday night pay-per-view in London. And then they have Monday Night Raw uh, at Madison Square Garden on the month, two days later. Yeah. So, and you were talking about how you're wondering if they were like hurting for crew or something. And I, I'm inclined to agree. And I'm wondering if the solution then to... Well, crap! We have this big show in 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 MSG, and everyone's like, kind of jet lagged, and we're all tired, and nobody really wants to like do a lot today. <laughs> yeah. So I wonder if that that um that um parade of rogues gal uh, the, the the parade of the rogues gallery vibe. Uh, we have we have we have doggo. Um, Aww. that that parade of rogues gallery vibe was intentional. Like like well, crap! We don't what our MSG shows are historically these amazing momentous events, but we don't really have anything for that. So let's just kind of trot everybody out and throw them all, all out there and just mm -hmm. let them go at it. Yeah. You know? like, 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 as we mentioned, there's really only like two things in this episode that are significant plot developments in any way, which mm -hmm. is uh stone cold, the stone cold Vince thing. And then yeah. the Mick Foley thing, because this was the um, WWF debut of cactus Jack. Yeah. So, and that whole thing and kind of like a real codifying of the three faces of Foley. Yeah. Person thing Which, where Mick Foley is a, has three separate distinct personalities that all wrestle and they all kind of show up semi randomly. Yep. I, I, and it's, it's really funny too. You mentioned that as like the two things in this episode, because there was a third thing that got a lot of airtime, which is, Shawn Michael and The Undertaker, but absolutely nothing happened with it other no. than that big Undertaker call out fake out where you just got curb stomped for a solid minute and then everybody ran away. Like, and I'll be honest with you, how, as I keep referring back to like the last two episodes and look how they did it better. No, yeah. it's actually kind of part of the course right now. Like, wow. Like they have the one episode, they have the first episode to set up the idea that we're going to do this in hell in a cell. And I think that this is the first episode that really explained what the rules of that were, which is like, they're in a cage. The cage is sealed from the top, which is actually different from a normal cage match. Normally it's yeah. an open top. And this, like this is sealed from the top. The idea is that you're not leaving. Yeah. Like, you're going to, you're going to stay in this cage until one of you wins. That's it. But other than that, yeah. they just kind of are like talking at each other and saying kind of the same things. Like Shawn Michaels is like, hey, 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 I'm Shawn Michaels and I'm not scared of the Undertaker. Hey, 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 I'm going to beat you in hell. And then the Undertaker, yeah. he does his 
stu- his goofy, I, yeah, I will take your, I will see your rotting corpse, Shawn Michaels, and I will send you to hell. But like, nothing and we keep will- getting these weird, dumb close-up shots, and it's the same shot of zooming in on his face, making the exact same expression every like, single time. Listen, we all, everybody loves The Undertaker, but he was really one note. <laughs> Yeah, I gotta say, I gotta admit, um, I, I, I've been, I've been reticent to say this all episode because I don't, I don't want you to hate me. I don't quite see the appeal right now. Of the Undertaker. Yeah. I get it. Like, he's not a very nuanced or interesting character, and he's never. He's there's like one feud where he is, which he's about to get into that, but not okay. right now. He's he's just kind of an interesting aesthetic and an interesting presence, and he's and he's he's a long he's a long he's a like he has longevity. Yeah, he's been there from 1990. He still technically wrestled last this year. Wow! <laughs> so he's almost there, and I will say in his later years we'll get this idea of the streak. Of at, at where he was undefeated at WrestleMania for 21 consecutive matches, as it would turn out, and we only do one of those. Yeah, I, I, yeah, I remember you. I remember you telling me about that. Right. So, like, that will be a big storyline of the Undertaker. Mm-hmm. But a lot of Undertaker is a lot of the way of his character presence and how kind of unique and committed he unique the character is, especially by this point when we're not doing cartoons anymore, and like how committed like a cartoon. He is well, yeah, he he still feels like kind of like a cartoon in an era where we're not doing that anymore, but everyone just kind of likes it anyway. Sure. Because of the way that he is committed. I totally understand. Like, it can be kind like if you're looking for more than just like a cool entrance and an interesting aesthetic, I can see how it's a little difficult for <laughs> get into him i do well i can i can well i can do with just a cool entrance and an interesting aesthetic i i i could definitely like get on board with just that being a thing of this of just kind of a crazy character like i i feel like that's kind of what we have going with like the fiend and and Mm -hmm. even though like i haven't seen the fiend in action yet i'm already super on board with the idea of him even though it seems like he's just like a cool entrance and a and a and a uh very stylized aesthetic, but so, but Ray, Ray, Wyatt's, just, Ray Wyatt's better at promos than the undertaker is. And I think that, might, like, yeah, I, I think that might be part yeah. of the problem is that for as cool as the undertaker has always looked, he doesn't really talk that way. Like the way he tries to portray his character from the way he talks, isn't the most interesting thing. And yeah, it, it it just feels goofy to me. There's kind of a reason that even in the in the goofy ass era of the '90s, when he shows up, he has Paul Bearer. I know, great joke. Uh-huh. But they they have this this guy who runs the funeral parlor where Undertaker resides, and he's the one that does all the real talking. Like he'll yeah. say he's the ma- he's a manager for the Undertaker. He says all the real stuff, and then Undertaker will come in at the end and go, "You will rest." In peace. And then he says nothing else. Yeah. Like, I think uh, that's a, like. Yeah, what happened? What what happened to Paul? He'll come back. 
but they basically decided to run an angle of like they wanted to kind of give Undertaker a new way, to, a new direction. So they kind of have Paul Bearer turn on the Undertaker and try to manage new guys. Ooh. Which he's not on this episode. He'll come back soon to continue that. But yeah, yeah but basically, this also meant that now the Undertaker has to do all the talking and stuff. Got his own problems. <laughs> And he has to give these long-winded monologues that even for wrestling monologues are kind of goofy and trite. He, he also, like, with his costume, he's kind of got, like, these Shang Tsung vibes going on. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't know. I, I don't know why. I just always imagine him with, like, a much different aesthetic where, like, for some reason I'm imagining, like, like leather, like, 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 like duster with... I, I, with like a plague doctor hat sort of thing going yeah, on. Yeah, I hate to I tell you, this is like the one era where he doesn't wear something like that. Oh, so so my so my mental image of him is accurate otherwise. Like he wear like he wears um a lot of like Western inspired gear because he's from Texas. Mm-hmm. And so under in most eras of The Undertaker, he does wear like he'll wear like a duster and he'll wear like this rimmed hat. Mm-hmm. Cow- almost like not quite a cowboy hat. I don't know hats well enough to explain it. Like, like I said, it's kind of like a from from what I remember seeing pictures of, which is I I, I thought I'd seen pictures of him was like was like a plague doctor. You probably ever. have, but like yeah, like he wear like he had like this current era where he's wearing this long flowing robe. This is this is kind of colli- colloquially called the Lord of Darkness era Undertaker. God, especially when a costume from a from a fighting game. Especially when he become, especially when he starts having a cult, but that's later. <laughs> but yeah, you kind of miss the one era. This is like the one era where he doesn't lean into his west, his like West Texas roots, mm-hmm. and how he chooses to portray himself. Maybe that's part of it too, because like again, he's kind of like right now looking like this Shang Tsung motherfucker, and I'm just well, like, actually, well, actually, he does. This is the only he does have this. He has a few years where he kind of isn't supernatural anymore, and he's just a biker dude who loves America or whatever. But that's not God. that's different. That's later. Oh, that In terms of being too. like the Dead Man Undertaker, this is the one time when he's not. This is the most different look he ever has. Uh. Well, fine. so that could also play into it. Yeah, it just, it just everything about him felt goofy from the get go, and I really didn't want to say anything. But yeah, I don't quite get the appeal right now. Maybe it's, I will later. It's I'm, fine. I'm keeping my mind open to the Undertaker, mm-hmm. but for now, like, okay, it's fine. I, I think I think if he had something more substantial or interesting to do, that might have also helped. Yeah. But instead, he's just got he's just got Shawn Michaels thrusting his crotch at him, and then curb stomping him. Shawn Michaels is happy to keep to his character. <laughs> lot of <laughs> lot of that hip thrusting, crotch <laughs> lot of lot of lot of lot of peeling that shirt off very sensually. Yeah, man. I told when I told you male stripper, I meant it. <laughs> I'm really sad you didn't get to see him in a match where he may or may not be wear be wearing assless chaps. <laughs> no, this is about the right era to see that. So, like, he's in his he's in his uh, non he was in his non wrestling attire tonight. Oh my god! <laughs> oh, that's good. Oh, that's funny. Mm-hmm. Oh no, no, no! Please. 
but yeah, this this episode felt ended up being a lot more of like an almost an intro to the '90s and what you'd kind of expect aesthetically. Yeah, which isn't great because we do a whole pre-show about that. Which, like, I I feel like I I feel like there are things I could kind of grasp at to get more of a deeper analysis from, but mm-hmm. I don't. But but I don't feel like I have enough material to be able to do that in earnest with any of this stuff. Like you mentioned, a whole lot of the tropes and stuff, and a whole lot of like little details and a whole lot of this and that but it i it feels right now like there's not much more to to for me to for me to observe about it other than just kind of shrugging my shoulders being like fucking 90s man am i right yeah i mean i I point out that like half the stuff i've talked about at this point is references to stuff that has already happened or stuff that will happen yeah again it's the ultimate filler episode they they pulled off filler in madison square garden Yeah, like I'm not talking a lot about what actually happens in the episode. Yeah, no, it wasn't like it wasn't like last week when we had like distinct things to talk about for mm-hmm. each match of Lucha Underground. This is just kind of like a puddle. It mm-hmm. was it was an interesting puddle. It was often a very a, a, a visually engaging puddle, but it was just kind of a puddle. Yeah, and even even if we were taking this as a um, like stuff to talk about. There's a lot of stuff from this time period I don't I didn't get we didn't get to see like as I mentioned yeah. the, gang, the gang wars thing was very much on the back burner none of the other mm-hmm. groups showed up um, we didn't get to talk about uh, minis wrestling uh, which is something that I ha- I mentioned on the first half but I wasn't sure that it would show up so I didn't really talk about it it's okay it's okay. Yeah, yeah. Um, we didn't get to see any of the light heavyweight division, which WWF didn't give a shit about that anyway, but uh-huh. I could have at least talked about about like why they did it and why they didn't care. But yeah. that wasn't there. Um, the only prominent we Sunny was in the show was on the show, but at this point she's kind of been relegated to not to just kind of announcing a match every once in a while. Yeah. So we don't really get to talk a lot about the how women were portrayed. Because other than other than you get Marlena Waller just perving at perving yeah. on every single thing that crosses the stage with boobs on it. Yeah, pretty much. But like, there's not a women's division yet, and Sable was just in the commercial. So like, yeah. any inter- there's not really anything interesting to talk about in terms of like how the women were used. I mean, I guess you could talk about Marlena, who is even in less clothes than she was last week. Great. <laughs> Yeah, like 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 I mentioned, a lot of fetish gear there. Yep, and as I as I told David on the on the uh, on the uh, during the show, we're gonna we're gonna get even more fetishy with Goldust stuff. I mean, I mean, I mean, we ain't here to kink shame, fam. We're just it's just it just it in this case feels kind of yucky considering the the broader story implications. Right, there are broader broader story implications on. of like. She is against. She is being held by Brian this Pillman against her will, and he's having a lot of sex with her. Uh, and she's totally into it. Wink, wink. Except she's definitely not. Yeah, every time they cut to her, she just looks horrified and disgusted. Yep, which is great acting on her part, but also gross. Please, can we? Yeah, I, I almost have to wonder how much of that is acting. But okay, I am going to say that I guess this is as good a time as I'm going to get to kind of talk about, you know, we talk about um, content in wrestling and what is and isn't appropriate and kind of 
how it kind of works a little bit differently, I think, mm-hmm. in wrestling. Is, is this time to get on a soapbox a little bit here? Is I think that a lot of is it it's pretty much well con- like everybody kind of agrees this whole thing is storyline is gross. Anyone who yeah. talks about it is like this is gross and bad. But yeah. you could easily make an argument of an argument of at least like if if this happened on another TV show You'd still probably think it's icky, but not as much, or at least you'd more easily be like, this is just fictional. These are characters. And I want to talk a little, get on my soapbox a little bit of why that's a little bit different in wrestling. Mm -hmm. And the reason I think it's a little bit different in wrestling is because in wrestling, there's a lot less of a clear divide, a clear divide between real human being and the character you're playing. Mm-hmm. That's been the way it goes in wrestling forever. That was intentional. Yeah. They, the the old time, the traditions of wrestling believed that this is the only way you're going to be able to really keep people watching the show is if you trick them into believing that it's fake, that it's real, excuse me. Yeah. So, and in a way of making sure that they never figure it out is to always be in character. Mm-hmm. And even as we see a, a death of kayfabe as it was now where everyone is in on it, that it's fake. And even WWE doesn't try very hard to be like, no, bro, this is real. Yeah. Um, It's still kind of, of almost baked into the tradition of wrestling to still kind of be in character. Um, Like, no one's forcing anybody to not be in character all the time. And it's not like you'll get punished if you do, but at the same time, there's positive rewards to being in character. If keeping kayfabe, like if you, if you go on social media and you keep kayfabe, especially if you're a really esoteric character, like the fiend Bray Wyatt. Yeah. Then people like, will like praise you for that. Like people mm-hmm. like the fans in eat that, enjoy that kind of extension of kayfabe outside of the realm of television. And I won't lie and say that it's not kind of fun to see these characters still exist in some way or another outside of television. But I think what that does is now you can't really push the envelope the same way because like if you do a show where, an actor or multiple actors play clansmen. Let's do to a very extreme. Well, yeah. they're not going to pretend to still be clansmen after the show ends. Yeah, we don't. We don't have. We don't have John Goodman. You know, dancing around in an eye patch, uh, mm-hmm. beating up George Clooney, uh, and then going to a clansman meeting IRL. It's just. It's just in the Coen Brothers movie. Yeah, but in wrestling you're at least kind of encouraged to for if you were, if you were playing a Klansman on TV, you'd still at least kind of encouraged to still be kind of a racist to kind of sell the mm-hmm. idea that you're actual, this is a real, this is real. This isn't just fake scripted crap. This is real. And so I think, yeah, I think the fact that like wrestling blurs this line between what is real and what is not real makes it harder to push the boundaries in terms of what isn't real. Like, it's not, it's all a little more uncomfortable when you're not just playing a character who is blatantly raping a woman on television. You're encouraged to keep kind of being that guy. And, and if, if I, if I can get up on my, uh, 
my mm-hmm. slightly uh, smaller and shoddier crafted soapbox next to you. Mm-hmm. Um, I think another element to it too is by virtue of kind of how commercial wrestling presents itself in our culture, mm-hmm. stuff like that is played with a lot more irreverence. And you can do that in fiction. You can you can have you can have black comedy where stuff like that is played for irreverence, but mm-hmm. then but then still at the end everybody takes off their and and like yeah, there's there's plenty of discourse to be had about how appropriate that is, but like yeah, I'm, like, not, you can't, I'm not saying it's as simple as like every black comedy event is totally a okay by yeah everybody. yeah yeah uh, it's 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 uh, but. But it's e- it's a lot easier to make an okay feeling argument that like mm-hmm. this is fiction, this is clearly meant to represent uh, a a negative thing, and it can be decently argued that the narrative is framing it as such. Mm-hmm. However, within within this world, um, the, the there there for as much as it's taking itself uber seriously, stuff like that between how how um what's his face is talking about uh about getting to be with be with uh melina um tillman Tillman, yeah uh between how tillman's talking about his time with melina between how fucking lawler um just cannot shut the hell up about it um between between kind of like the general sexual politics of the day it's played with this irreverence Mm -hmm. um that is pervasive and because of kayfabe does not never gets taken off for anyone to turn to the camera and say in all earnestness hey guys this is all this is all a game this we're, we're all playing here don't like everything's okay cool. everything's this. okay yeah for first for as much as it's a morality play and for as much as there should be kind of a, like a clear clear delineation between what's moral and what's not i i think i think the 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 over the top villains like that that aren't that that aren't played as like the types of people that like are directly opposed to the audience's shared identity you know people mm-hmm. people like uh um pe- you know the the, the more kind of uppity were smarter than you characters like these guys are just like they're crazy redneck wild cards or whatever mm-hmm. um who just really like having sex but they do it in a slightly not okay way but it's still played with enough irreverence that mm, that messaging feels a lot muddier um, and feels a lot less responsibly presented, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's another thing too, is I'll say it is that um, wrestling um, just isn't necessarily, while I fully believe that wrestling can be a very like smart, I'll put it like that, a very smart medium in terms of like storytelling and writing. It many times mm-hmm. isn't. And especially when it comes to controversial topics, it usually isn't. <laughs> yeah, and that makes it a whole. Because lot it doesn't, it's, well, because it doesn't re- leave room for nuance is the problem. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's no there. There is no. There's very rarely of ever real nuance in wrestling. <laughs> I mean, it's it's a it's a world where where every problem is solved by people just punching each other a lot. Like mm-hmm. like this is not a world of of gray areas. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and not and a that, world of and not a world of difficult conversations because why right. have difficult conversations when you can just punch and they've tried in some ways to do that sometimes and it and it usually kind of flops in a lot of ways like a, a thing i'll talk about is in a 2005 they have this character called muhammad hassan and 
Funny enough, he is Italian American, but he's mm. playing someone who is uh, Middle East of Middle Eastern descent, and yeah. he's kind of like, and he's a heel, but he makes incredibly strong points of like, I'm angry and mad at America because of the discrimination I feel I am receive as a person who is a Muslim who is someone who is Middle Eastern because of the effects of 9 yeah. eleven, and he makes a lot of good points. But then the you get like the other side, like the good guys fighting against him do the incredibly stupid crap of like, well, you know, there's violence and hatred everywhere, Hassan. It's not an American issue or or they'll say things like, but this is America. You can love it or by God, you can leave it. I think I've lost count of how many times I've heard that phrase on WWE television on on, in there. So like. Even when it tries to get nuance, it still kind of flops. Yeah. Oh, and by the way, the storyline ends with eventually him basically being an Islamic terrorist. Of course it does. Like, I honestly, I'm not. I, I, I guessed that punchline, and it died as soon as you, as soon as you mentioned that they were that he was making some cogent points. I guessed and that then, punchline, and then it died totally because they did the angle with him being in it, doing his terroristy things, and as much as it allowed on WWE television, yeah. um, it, like basically the whole story is that they filmed this show because they you they filmed it was for SmackDown, so they filmed it on a Tuesday. And then it aired the same day as the seven seven bombings in London. Oh shit! Like that, that angle aired the exact same day. The complete coincidence could not ha- like could not stop it. But and so then they just quietly ended the whole thing. Holy shit! It's like oh dear. Oh shit! Like, like the timing couldn't have been worse. But then of course you could argue why did you have to go there in the first place? Oh fuck! Mm-hmm. That's not fun. No, it is not. Oh but boy. Yeah. Well, back back to the point of like, even when it tries to do nuance, it doesn't really stick with it. Yeah. That yeah, it's unfortunate because because we get weird crap like the Molina thing. Mm-hmm. Um. And, yeah. I I feel like I don't want to end the episode on that kind of a note, but but like but like I mean I I think we can lighten it up again just mm-hmm. by being like fucking nineties man like like this is this is very clearly an era of ups and downs for the WWE or the WWF pardon me mm-hmm. like like it's very clearly this thing of like of like there were some really there were some um really dumb things put out in this era you know a, a, a very much a product of vince russo's clearly bombastic style of writing mm-hmm. um and for as much as i'm sure in the moment it felt it all felt really cool to the fans and you know like you were talking about like this how they got their fan base back it kind of had like this, Ed this kind resurgence. Of, yeah this kind of stuff yeah yeah, and I'm sure back in the day it ma- it made everybody feel like major badasses. But now you look at it, and it's just so silly. Um, and it, it feels I mean, it feels very more than I think any other time in wrestling. It feels a lot harder to get into if you weren't there. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I can, I'm getting into it in my own way, just not in the way. Sure, that, but not that, in the way, that, but not in the way that, that everybody Russo else intended. did, and not in the way that anyone intended you to do. Yeah. 
but I mean, I think that does lend itself its own charm, though. Just mm-hmm. kind of like the so weird, it's hilarious era. Um, you know, we're we're there. This is going to be. I, I think this podcast when when we kind of have the Discord side of this podcast, there's there's going to be this always kind of really weird feeling duality between the silly um and ridiculous that we get to laugh about and like the kind of serious and dour points of discourse that we need to have like kind of mm-hmm. serious discussions about um but i think at the end of the day we can all kind of tie it back into this idea of this is uh, like kind of like what what i talked about a lot in the first episode this is very clearly a cultural phenomenon mm-hmm. um and and unfortunately, we have to take it with its good and its bad and its ugly. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that is what makes it worthy of examination in this way. You know, I kind of, I've been kind of so far feeling like, man, am I just really forcing it by trying to be like this analytical, philosophical mind? No, this is this is everything. WWE. This is, is kind of everything I want in. Um... Well, and, and when I say and, and when I say that, I, I, I hope you don't mean. I hope you don't. I hope you know. I don't mean it in the in the way of like I'm subscribing to the WWE is for dumb people trope. Just more no. in the line of like, is this is is this content that um that anyone outside of us could get anything meaningful out of? Mm-hmm. Um, but I think I think so. Kind of what we've seen so far, I think there is a lot of really valid cultural impact to be analyzed here. Mm -hmm. Um, And sometimes, and sometimes it'll be tough and uncomfy to talk about because, because yeah, WWE, WWF, whatever has problems, has had problems, is led by a complete egomaniacal weirdo um, (laughs) who's only become more so over the past, the past decades um just with every passing day becomes a little bit weirder and a little bit more psychotic mm-hmm. um um and that's going to have some negative ramifications both kind of like in its own little microcosm in the world and on the people who watch it and kind of take its messaging seriously um but that being said there's still plenty to celebrate here too um and i kind of i think at the end of the day i want to find the balance between um between yeah um we we recognize the screwed up parts um and let's take that um and use it to kind of envision and hope for a world where entertainment like this can be presented in a in a smarter way in a more nuanced way and then along the way we get to treat ourselves to all of the really cool moments and all of the split your pants dying of laughter it's so fucking ridiculous moments mm-hmm. that i've just been treasuring thus far this episode specifically mm-hmm. um so i yeah i think this podcast is always going to have a little bit of a weird jekyll and hyde personality when it comes to when it comes to like the duality of wrestle um but i don't think that's necessarily a bad thing mm-hmm and man, this is going to be a long episode. So, uh, so thank two, you all for, hours, for sticking with two us. Two hours for this ten one. is, I think, is what this ends out to. Yeah, this, this is going to this is going to be a big boy. All right, what where we go next? Um, Ooh, that's a good question. We've 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 hit 
Lucha Underground. We've mm-hmm. hit, which is the one, almost like the one thing I really wanted to show. <laughs> hey, uh, well, I think there's one. If if we're doing if 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 these first if these if these beginning episodes are kind of a an introductory, uh, uh, you know, uh, what's the term like a tasting platter? Mm-hmm. Um, I think there's one more major thing we got to hit. What would that be? Uh, let's uh, uh, would it would it be at all possible next time to uh to move a bit more uh eastward in our uh in our uh cultural examination of the wrestling world? I'll have to think on that because we because we do we 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 uh don't really watch super long shows. So wait, are they long over? Are, how long are those shows? Um. Well, New Japan Pro Wrestling doesn't really do television show, doesn't do television the same way you, WWE does. So it's kind okay. of it's like the way they do it is they have clusters of shows that they just kind of air that all f- follow an arc, follow a uh, follow an arc, follow a plot, usually a tournament, and then it all kind of builds up to one big show, and so. They don't do like two hour weekly television. It's more of like the their biggest tournament of the year. They do 19 shows in 30 days and then they take like three weeks off. <laughs> oh, Jesus. So it's a lot harder for as long as we're still kind of doing this, doing do working in the confines of, of a television of like a regular episode of TV, that's only going to be a one or two hours. Mm-hmm. I don't know if we can do something with new Japan. That might have to be something we save for a time when we're ready, when we have like the time and, and desire to really kind of do a show that's longer. That's fair. Like a marathon day or something. Yeah. Um, I was thinking, is it like, we is that we kind I I kind of like this idea of, of fives. You know, we've had three episodes of a fifth episode before we, we kind of recycle our way back to stuff we've gone through before. Mm-hmm. It's kind of this is is the fifth is the fifth can kind of be kind of like a whatever almost of like whatever I so, like some something that isn't WWE but something that doesn't fit with. It isn't Lucha Underground or WWE, but something I don't necessarily want to see us do like every single time. Um, how about something from the indie scene? That is what I was going to think of, and it's not really indies, but it's not. It's it is smaller than WWE. As I was thinking, next time we hit up uh, All Elite Wrestling, which is the current like their WWE's biggest competitor right now. Kind of see how and kind of see a modern and kind of see modern wrestling another way i would be delighted to hit up uh aaw yep uh in that case that well what we will do next time we're gonna go uh get all elite yes all right look forward to it i'm ready see you guys next time so long